You're listening to The Blend. Drum and bass interviews for Lowering Theory. With the Reverend Kathy Russell. Our next artist in this series hails from Wellington, New Zealand. With releases on Decipher and more, this is the Low End Theory interview with Rowan Nate, also known as Dynamics. Hello, Rowan! It's so great to talk to you. Cheers. Thanks. It's great to be here. Good. Now, the last time we spoke uh, was in March, and uh, Mm -hmm. so it's been a couple months. Um, Have you, what you been up to these past couple months? Um, apart from general life and working, I've just been busy as usual working away in the studio when I've got the time and the inspiration. So, yeah, that's pretty much about it. Awesome. Uh, now, you're from Wellington. Uh, tell us a little bit about the scene there. Is it a big scene? Okay. Um, yeah, so Wellington does have a really good scene. Um, it's been obviously an interesting couple of years. So um, these sorts of questions for me, I've been in the scene for a while, so it's sort of like a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so when I first got into the drum bass scene in Wellington was back in 2000, oh. and that was like the golden era. Um, yes. It was a, an amazing time for the music. We were uh, getting to see amazing internationals of you know legendary status on a regular basis, at least month by month. And... Um, the scene was really healthy. It was that time where the crowd was, you know, any age, any colour, creed, whatever. It was an amazing environment to be in where there was just a whole bunch of people all unified in um, a, a genre of music that they all loved and dancing all night to these DJs with a very, very hefty sound system. So... um you know, I got to experience that. I fell in love with drum and bass, and um, it's evolved over time. You know, we had a really awesome club. Back in the day, there was a few spots in Wellington. Um, the main place that the gigs used to be at was a place called Studio 9, another one called Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's at some other spots as well. But later on, we got uh, Sandwiches, and that was a, an amazing club. The name of the club was um, Sandwiches? On- yeah. Did they sandwiches. serve sandwiches? Yeah, they did actually have some <laughs> on their menu for a bit. Um, they, had it, they had like, you know, the back end, which was a club in the front part, which was a bar and also acted as a restaurant earlier on in the night. Oh, wow. Um, it was a really beautiful fusion of like club and hospitality all rolled into one. Um, some really great guys that had that club and um, started it. Had a wicked sound system. I can't nice. remember what brand the sound system was, but it was perfectly tuned. They got they bought it from overseas and got someone from overseas to come in and set it up and tune it and everything. It was oh. it was really good. You know, like for a lot of the heads um, from the UK and other places around the world. You know, well established names like people like Marcus Intellects, for example. Loved coming and playing at Sandwiches. It was one of their favourite places to come. You know, we were treated to sets that would last for like, you know, three hours. Oh, some wow. Of them even longer. There was one legendary night where Marcus, actually it's the anniversary of his uh, death um, today, oh. like five years ago, which is real sad. Yeah, that um, is really sad. But, you know, he, there was one night where he, he played for like, Hours. It was like five hours or something. Oh my Pretty gosh! Much all night. 
yeah, they, they, we were really treated down here and, um, you know, they loved coming and play for us and it was awesome. So, you know, there was that part, but also I had a couple of years, sorry, not a couple of years, about a year living down in Christchurch as well. Okay. And, um, in Christchurch, Christchurch is kind of really where drum and bass started in New Zealand. No kidding. So, yeah, and they had like, oh, there was a wicked scene in Christchurch, man, and, like they had a club there called Ministry, which mm-hmm. was another legendary um, place, you know, that is worthy of note. And so going down to Christchurch is where I kind of got to cut my teeth a little bit more in the scene. Um, and that's where I sort of started emceeing and stuff. Yeah. Like I was emceeing in Wellington before that, but that was where I started to get to support with internationals and stuff. Like my first ever support gig that I emceed at that was an international was um, D-Bridge at nice. Ministry. So that was pretty cool. And, um, you know, so I was there for about a year, made some really good friends and stuff down there. Came back to Wellington, then started playing support gigs in Wellington. Um, obviously, during all that time, I also got to travel to places like Auckland and go to gigs in Auckland. My first drum and bass gig ever, ever, was um, Andy C in the year 2000 in July oh, at the Box wow. in Auckland. So, you know, that he, he, he is no responsible pressure. for christening me, so to speak, into drum and bass. And, um, Did you MC that yeah, night? No, no, oh, no, oh, this no, is, no. This is before no, that. I was. I mean, before that time, I was like a, um, like a really into like punk and metal and hardcore. I was like, you know, a skater kid. That's so um, funny because I, I, I talked to a lot of people that were into harder styles before they got into drum and bass. I was into industrial, like ministry yeah. and uh, front two four two and, and uh, stuff like that before I got into yeah. electronic music and then drum and bass really clicked. Um, yeah, well, New, Z- New Zealand and obviously like other parts of the world, we, we were real into that kind of music. Like that was real popular. If you look at um, like New Zealand producers like Concord Dawn and Trey and, you know, Bulletproof and all these, you know, you know, there's lots of names, so I'm not trying to leave anybody out. But we all listened to, like, metal and hardcore and punk, and there was – we didn't think about it, but there was a sound to New Zealand drum and bass, and a lot of that is coming through from those influences. Oh. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was uh, definitely a big part of the music scene here in New Zealand. So it was natural that we drew from those things. Now, were you saying that Andy C is the first drum and bass show you went to, period? Yeah, like my first ever wow. drum and bass party ever was Andy C. Oh like, wow! And like I'm talking like like it's year 2000 Andy C, not uh, 2022 Andy C. Like you know. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's really that's special. I mean, in drum and bass land, that's special. The executioner. Yeah, that's what we call proper. Yeah, proper. <laughs> I was on a. Uh, 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 I'm in some drum and bass Facebook groups, and somebody had the gall in one of those drum and bass Facebook groups to say that uh, uh, that Andy C wasn't very good. And the whole I had to I had a big laugh because the whole group just turned on him. It was like, how dare you, sir? And everybody yeah. was like, if, <laughs> vetoed. If, if Andy <laughs> wants to throw down. And you know you you got you can't deny that man's 
DJing skills. You'd have to be Absolutely. an absolute nut bar to say that he doesn't have it. It's just whether you like his selections. Right. And that's like any DJ. So. Right. Probably some of the uh, few, time, few times that I've actually cried happy tears of just loving the music so much have been, yes, of course, ADC sets. Yes. Oh, really? That's yeah. amazing. I mean, I wasn't like bawling, but I, I definitely teared up. was like, it's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, do you still MC or have, have you uh, retired? Well, I mean, I'm not actively trying to pursue MCing. To be honest, like it kind of naturally fell away because, you know, when I was, um, I was, performing like I used to perform like every weekend pretty much mm -hmm. and pretty much in sandwiches and um and that was because um my friend Daryl aka mm -hmm. D-Dog who is sort of like the man behind Bass Frontiers which was you know one of that was the staple kind of um brand that put on drum and bass parties in Wellington established it um you know he was obviously booking all these internationals and because I was you know, a predominant MC for the crew, I would mm -hmm. often get to MC with the internationals. So I've been very, very fortunate that I literally got a front row seat and got to perform with a whole lot of really um, amazing artists that we know and love. And um, Yeah, it sounds like so, it. So, so uh, you know, doing all of that, and I was always making tunes. Like, I've always made music. I've been making music since I was in high school. It's always been something I've been into. I love making music. So w eventually, you know, we, you know, Daryl stopped putting on parties as much, and then we just kind of stopped. And um, so after that kind of stuff, I didn't really sort of keep doing gigs as much, and there's a sort of a bit of a period of time where things were shuffling around and other people stepped in to kind of put on those bigger shows and stuff like that in Wellington. Yes. So I guess that kind of comes back to your question about the scene in Wellington now. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's some, there's a, like a, a crew here called uh, Breaking Beats, which is run by a guy called Chris Kimmig mm -hmm. and um, otherwise known as Mosaic. Mm -hmm. And he, he sort of carried the torch forward and, and, Went and started doing some really big events as well. Um, he did an amazing show um, back uh, last year, 2021, when he put on Andy C in the TSB arena, and it was massive. It was such a big show. Really? And it went all, yeah, like thousands of people? Got, it, yeah, it got shared all around the world as well because, you know, we were in that period of time where everyone was, like, screwed up by... Um, you know, COVID, COVID and not being able to go out. There's no gigs. Right. And here over in New Zealand, we're having gigs and seeing these massive shows. So, you know, people were, you know, looking at that and um, wishing that they were obviously be able to do that. I was so one of those a lot people. Of attention. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, big ups to um, those guys for carrying it forward. And, you know, they're still doing gigs now. Um, but it, it changed quite a bit. Like the scene... And and I think like the scene in general, actually, from what I can see, mostly from what I get from where I am, um, you know, it's kind of a bit more towards that sort of festival esque big event kind of thing. Gotcha. Whereas it was, you know, originally, um, you know, club music, and mm -hmm. and for me personally, like I, I like to listen to it in a club, 
that's where I like to go to hear this music. I want to be in a club. I'm not so much of a big fan of the big outdoor stuff and the big venue stuff. Yeah. Mainly because it's just where I come from. It's what I'm used to. I like a bit more of that intimacy and stuff. But it's cool, you know, each to their own. I'm not saying it's bad or anything. It's just what I like. So, you know, with that being sort of said and done, you know, we've got no more clubs really. Well, sorry, that's not true. We do have a club in Wellington, but it doesn't really do DMB. I see. And um, so it, it's changed. Like the, just the landscape has changed from what it was. But by all respects, the scene in Wellington is good and it is healthy and there's people doing stuff and, you know, it's going bananas all around the world, isn't it? Yeah, so, it is. Everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's ready to go back out again. So it's it's we've had some times over here in Texas that we've just started getting some good shows coming through. That uh, yeah. So we're, we're starting to pop back up again. But uh, yeah. that's good to hear. So I just wanted to add, um, yeah, because you were asking about whether I MC anymore and the answer is basically no but i can okay <laughs> so if i if i wanted to get on a mic i could and i can do the thing i did it for a long time i'm you know, so like glad you years. brought that up because i was just about to double back and ask you if you mc over your own productions um so yeah like there are a couple of tunes that i've made that i've done vocals for mm-hmm. um nothing that's like signed or out there uh it's kind of funny because I guess for me as like an MC, I'm I'm very, very conscious of what I actually say when I record it, when I print it. Sure. You know, like it, it needs it, it can't for me it just can't be waffle. It's kinda gotta say something or it's gotta at least be something that can stay there and always have some sort of relevance, I guess. So um I, I'm very, very critical of myself and what goes on um in terms of um, you know, my words. And, um, yeah, like, I, it's not like I go and write a tune and I'm like, right, cool, now I need to write a lyric for this. But occasionally, it's not always it's always sitting there. It's a part of me. Like, you know, as an MC and having done it for a long time, it's always running with me. So even when I'm making tunes, I'm, like, feeling that vibe and that sort of, you know, comes through and, and my ability to kind of carry the music forward and finish it. So uh, let's talk about your process. Uh, you were telling me uh, before we started that you've made some adjustments to your workflow. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, do you? Totally. Yeah, awesome. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Okay, so um, I mean, like, do you mean in terms of, like, how I generally go around writing a tune? And- right. Like, do you have an idea? Do you already know, have a partial idea of what you're going to write when you sit down? Or do you mm. like to do you like to improvise until you get an idea? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. I find it's kind of both those things. Sometimes when I'm sitting away from the studio, I'll hear the idea of what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Seldomly, when I get into the studio, does that come with me? I see. So, <laughs> so I'll I'll give you an example. Like that, there's a track on um, my track that's on Spy Technologies A on Decipher. There's my track called Murderation on there. I had that tune in my head for about 15 years. Like that, 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 that was sitting there. Like it was like, you know, this little idea that I would sort of mumble and riff about in my head and I could never capture it. And then one day I did. That's one day great. I finally caught it. And I was like, there it is. I've, I've got it. I've, I've actually got this idea in my head out. That's like one of the rarest times that's ever happened. 
Um, but generally when I get into the studio, like I will just start, usually I start with drums mm-hmm. and build from there, but occasionally I'll work the other way around. Sometimes I'll, I will just find a sound that's really inspiring and that will sort of suggest where the tune's going to go. Um, what I have been doing or exercising is working a bit more on sound design and and refraining from writing. And that's quite hard because, you know, you'll make a really, really great sound. And you already and start like, to get ideas. Yeah, you're already vibing. And especially for me, if I'm writing basses and stuff, I'll always lay or put a breakdown so that I've got something to have a reference to for how that, that bass is going to sound when I use sure. it in a track. So, yeah, it was it was very, very difficult to refrain from writing, which was a good thing because it meant these sounds are really expiring, but I was just right. disciplined, stuck with it, kept building and um, build like a whole library of sounds. that They're all mine and they're all super inspiring. So I know that when I go and use these in a session, I'm going to be able to sort of, you know, smack something out that I'm going to like. Now, in terms of the sound design that you're doing, are you working, focusing on synthesis? Because I, I really do like your, uh, your synth lines on your, on your music. Um, that was one thing yeah. that, that really struck me that I was like, I want to get my synths to sound like that. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, that's a really nice compliment. So when it comes to synthesis, you know, I've, I'm one of those, I've got a lot of things available to me in my studio and, and, and frankly, you know, there's some things I wish I didn't get. But I see. That's 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 the way it goes. So, you know, in terms of sort of software that I use predominantly mm-hmm. um would be things like um serum and um vital. Yeah. And then occasionally I'll reach for uh, massive as mm-hmm. well. Um but then the other part which is my Korg Prolog 16, it's an analog synthesizer um, with a digital oscillator included in there as well. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't realize until I listened back to a lot of my music, like how many of my tunes either contain bases that are made in that, or at least a, a, a call or a response that comes from that synth. So um, yeah, I will sit down with one of those tools and just start building sounds. Sometimes I can um, be making a tune and go, okay, I've got this bass and I've got the drums, I've got the the meat and potatoes, so to speak, but I need, I don't know, like a pad or something. Yeah. Occasionally I might have a pad that I've written and previously or made that I can use, but the other thing is that I've got to a point where I can kind of take an idea, you know, something that's in my head and, and generate it. I can create it in the synthesizer. I know what I need to do to kind of get the tomba that I want. And that that, that comes down to having a, just a good understandings of the basics of synthesis. Right. So, how, many, know, uh, how many years have you been producing for? <laughs> um, a long time. Okay. I've been mucking around with making beats. I think from like about 2002, 2003 okay. was when I first got a DAW and the first one that I was given was like a, my brother bought a 
home a copy and put it on the family computer of Fruity Loops, like awesome. on the first Fruity Loops. Yeah, I started with Fruity Loops too. <laughs> yeah, and that but that was wicked. That was that's what changed everything because you know I come from like you know punk and metal, and I used to you know play guitar and I used to write songs for playing with a band basically, and um, it used to always frustrate me that I couldn't get everyone together to play when I wanted to play. You know, I'm I like, see. you know, people just, people's schedules and stuff don't work out. It's super frustrating. Mm-hmm. You've got to be really committed if you're in a band and make yes. the time schedules work. So for me, I was like, excellent. I can make music whenever I want. I don't have to rely on anyone and I can get all these ideas in my head out and I can explore new territory. Sure. Later on that, later on that went to um, uh, Reason. So I got mm-hmm. like, I think it was like Reason 3.5 or 2.5, one of those ones. Mm-hmm. And that that was cool once I got my head around that. And that was also a really good DAW because the way it's laid out and on the rack, it gives you an understanding of analog equipment and where things plug into and routing and stuff. Yeah. Some people find that real confusing. But once you understand that, then you kind of know what's happening under the hood of a lot of things. I would totally agree with that. That was one thing I liked about Reason as well, was that you could flip the whole thing around and see the whole patch bay. Yeah. Yeah, It is really helpful. And I used Reason up until about Reason 10, and then um, I was sort of like, oh, you know what? I kind of want to work with something different. And um, I I tried a few different DAWs out, like I tried Logic, I tried Mm -hmm. Ableton. Um, You know, I I, I tried them out, and I tried like Ableton quite a few times because obviously it's so popular. Yes. But do you know what? I don't like it. For me personally, I that's just, fair. I just it's something about it, like the GUI, the the layout. It just doesn't didn't work for me. Sure, you know, and it, it annoys me because I know it's capable of doing some really amazing things. But Absolutely. I'm just like, well, I'm sure if I knuckled down and spent like a few months with it, I'm sure I could get into it. But I wanted to get making music and change over and I um ended up on Presona Studio One, and that was awesome. Oh. Like I was just like straight into it like once I got that and um had a play with it I was like it was just so intuitive I knew what I was doing and it works for me like how my mind thinks about music so yeah I love that DIW it's epic now with the PreSonus the Studio One do you have to use it with their interfaces or uh or you can use whatever you want with it no, you can use whatever you want with it the um the PreSonus Quantum is really really good it is like Last I checked was the fastest um, interface on the market, faster than UAD. Oh. Um, but I have a UAD Apollo. Oh, that's those are what great. I use. Yeah, and that was because I wanted to get access to a few, you know, analog plug-in emulations that, you know, if I was buying the hardware, I would be spending a lot of money. So that was the next best thing. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, PreSonus is Studio One's wicked. You don't have to use any of that stuff. It's it's very capable of a lot of things. Yeah. You know, when I was first starting out uh, learning how to produce, and I'm still, I'd say, like an intermediate level. I'm still learning myself. But, uh, um, you know, everybody would tell me, you need to get this, you need to get that, you know. And it took me probably a good four or five years, you know, to, to realize that, the equipment and the software that you need is whatever gets your ideas out the fastest, whatever you can 
manifest that 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 creation you know whatever gets totally. you there is is the right equipment and and software for you i've always said yeah yeah you, you think if you're not if basically it comes down to if you're not having fun what's the point right like if you if you're not having fun in the studio if it's like hard or it's the stretch or it's all these things are like miles away and out of grasp it's it's no fun like you should be sitting down and really enjoying your time in the studio sure there's parts to the musical process as you advance along that become a little bit laborious they're a little bit you know they work so to speak but even that in itself can be an enjoyable process if you realize that you're improving or, or getting better I think I think the key thing when it comes to um, music production is there's a little bit of that element of when you're new to it, when you don't really know what you're doing, I think you actually have this thing where you come up with cooler stuff because you just don't really care. You just you don't have as many rules around. Yeah, and you're just trying to make a sound sound cool to yourself, and mm-hmm. that that kind of freedom of thinking that without being in a parameter of anything can actually result in some really cool stuff. Like some of my early tunes, they're terribly produced, but the vibe and the ideas are actually in some ways better than music I make now. Yeah. They have a a term for that in Buddhism called beginner's mind. Yeah. And then of course, but there's also the the elements of, of then learning things that, you know, are principles that, that work. And so for examples of that would be things like, you know, understanding having a good source sample. So, like, if you're building drums, yes, you know, you can't, you can't, um, you know, roll the shit and glitter. It's still a piece of shit and glitter. Yes, you know? <laughs> but if, if you if you get like, um, you know, like a good kick and and good snare and like all these sort of fundamentals down and and knowing what f- makes those things sound good and be a good source sound, then the work that you do behind that isn't too much. And it's the same with, you know, like synthesis and, you know, if you're making basses, you know, you want your low end or your subs and stuff to have a good thickness and generally be in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then the other stuff that comes around it, the harmonic material can be a bit wider and whatever. So you you kind of learn those sort of fundamental things that result in in a pretty good sounding track before you've even really got down to mixing it down. So I see those are those are kinds of things. Do you feel like when you're finished with a song, is it finished or is it just it's time to stop? Yeah. So there's sometimes yes. Like sometimes I will have a tune and I I am almost at the end of it, and there can be a part of me that's starting to get a bit bored with it. Yes. Um. And that's where I have to sort of exercise a bit of self-discipline. And that's that sort of marriage and that balance between having the inspiration and fishing out a tune quickly while you're inspired. Yes. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'll have a tune and I'll be like, right, I- I'm going to finish this tune. I actually feel like moving on to something else, but I am going to finish it and-, mm-hmm. and get it done so that I can mentally clear my head and move out of the way. Other times I'll just abandon stuff. Um, depending on where I am and the exercise of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't generally set deadlines for myself. I, I don't want to put any kind of like restrictions or, or things on me that don't feel good. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. It, it, so, like, if I'm putting deadlines and stuff on myself, it starts veering away from me having fun and I see to being work. And you know, like, for, like I said earlier on, like, if I'm not having fun, what's the point? Right. You know, exactly. sure, maybe if, if I was a recording artist or something that was on some kind of contract and I had to finish stuff on a certain time. Okay, sure. You know, if I was getting paid enough money, but I don't know if I'd be having as much fun. I don't know. Now, that's one thing that's always fascinated me about about the drum and bass scene is that you don't see that quite so much in drum and bass where uh, an artist will be exclusively signed to one label. Sure, it happens, but yeah. it's not as frequent. And and that no. that surprised me because I would think you'd want to move together as a team in a traditional sense. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I think it depends on the label. Like I know that there are certain labels that sign artists onto recording contracts with them that might be, I don't know, to sign up to do two EPs and an album or something like that. But, okay. Um, you know, when you do that kind of thing, you always have to remember that with those bigger labels, they have big rosters of releases. And if you were in a contract like that, you know, you might get one EP out, then maybe a next one a year later, and then you might be waiting, you know, a couple more years or more for your, like, album to come out. Oh. Um, so I, I have heard of that being kind of not, a good situation. Right, being I, kind I, of restrictive. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it, it totally depends on the context and what that agreement says. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I just know that in some situations that doesn't work out so good mm -hmm. and other times it, obviously it can. So, you know, yeah, I guess it's just between the artist and the record label to sort of make that agreement and what that sort of suggests that they can and can't do. Right. Uh, you were mentioning uh, before we started recording some words of wisdom when you're sending out music to uh, to labels. Would you care to impart that to my listeners who are listeners today? Oh, yeah. It's just a bit of practical um, advice, and that would be that if you are getting to a point where you're starting to send your music out to labels, and especially if you're sitting on a lot of unsigned material, um, to keep an actual list of who you send your music to, and what tracks and on what date that you send it. So basically a full record because you can quickly lose track of what you have sent to who. <laughs> and um, if you're going to go, oh, you know, actually I might send them another couple of tracks, and you're like, wait, did I send them that one? Oh, I don't know. So you don't want to be in that sort of situation. So, yeah, definitely keep a record. Do you find that it's fairly common uh, when when you submit things that you hear uh, feedback where they come back and say, we like it, but we want you to make these adjustments, is that common or is that rare? No. I've Well, for me personally, I've never had anyone say to to give me, you know, feedback of change this or change that. Um, I've had definitely had feedback before, mm -hmm. like in terms of what whether they like or what they thought of it and things like that. Um, but generally not. And oh, that's good. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, and I I would definitely say to anyone who is a a producer, an up and coming producer, is wanting to get signed, like don't um, 
don't expect any feedback from from any labels that you send stuff to and don't be offended if you don't get it like don't let it affect your heart for the music because they get sent so many tunes you imagine like think about it think about all the people around the world sending tunes to these labels and whether they would um have the time to not only listen to all of it but then respond to all of it you know that would be just a massive task in itself they still got to run a label and and probably the other things in their life they do so <laughs> yeah just be re- just be realistic and and be like if they like your music they'll get back to you if they don't don't take it personally and it doesn't mean they didn't like it they might go it's not the right thing for their label or whatever so um you know it's just like um how old like what nominee says keep chopping and the tree will fall yeah oh i like that saying i've never heard that before keep chopping and the tree will fall yeah so uh going back to your process uh, i always like to yeah. ask my producers that come on do you have a favorite yeah. plug-in oh yeah i've got like several uh, <laughs> depends on depend depends on the part of the process um you know uh, like effects you, oh okay so there are some sort of staple things that I use a lot. In terms of software plugins, I use um, ProQ3 a lot. Okay, I'm not familiar um, with that one. Uh, FabFilter. Okay. Yep, FabFilter ProQ. And uh, the other one I use, which is SoundToys um, Detonator. Okay. It's a distortion plugin. I'm having a total mental That's blank. That's all right. right <laughs> Put on the spot. It's um, <laughs> a, a distortion saturation with like five different models on it. And mm-hmm. um, what else do I use a lot? Do you find that your analog gear has a – I mean, I, I found that some analog gear has more of a warmth to it sometimes than using uh, synth plugins. Or have you maybe yeah. found a way around that? Oh, no, definitely analog synths do have a warmth to them. I mean, it's just the result of those analog circuits, you know, the electrical path and everything that happens under the hood and the sound that comes out the other end is rich and full sounding. So um, you can definitely produce these results out of software synths. This is where having an understanding of, analog equipment helps you to be able to reproduce it in like a software synth. So an example of that would be drift, you know, like an analog circuit is never going to be perfectly on pitch. It does drift a little bit up and down and that's what gives it the vibe. Yeah. That's what makes it sound human and have character. Cause you know, if you think about like a, like a sine wave, for example, and it goes into the positive and goes into the negative. And when you push a soft synth, like say serum and you've got a sine wave up unless you've when you've got the random knob turned all the way down so that will always start the cycle from the zero point into the positive gotcha but you know an analog circuit is always running so every time you hit the key it starts at a different point in that in that cycle so it's never going to go this is yeah so you know, you could use the random knob and synth to recreate that. Another thing you could do is, you know, assign an LFO to the global pitch mm-hmm. on a on a sort of like random setting and just, you know, put a very small amount on the on the total pitch so that it does just drift up and down a little bit in a random way. 
and that will create that kind of character. And those are sort of little things that you can do to make a a, a software synth not sound so computery. Right. That's really you know. cool. I did not know that. Thank you for the tips on that. No problem. Do you have anything uh, uh, coming out that you can talk about, or uh, uh, have you put anything out recently that we can talk about? No, I haven't put out anything recently, but I have got uh, an EP in the works uh, that I have sent pre-masters off for collab recordings, mm-hmm. um, and that'll be coming out, I believe, as a three-track EP. So that's on Heist Label with um, Benny Collab, and that will be coming out under Collab Recruits. So the reason it's under the Collab Recruits thing is because, you know, back in 2017, I started doing some one-to-one tuition with Heist so that I could, you know, improve my production skills, which was really valuable. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of a way of him sort of showcasing um, people that have, you know, learnt from him directly in one-to-one and, and presenting it. And I think I'll be the second iteration of that, um, you know, brand banner. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's got three tracks on it, um, one called Totoro, another one called Carousel Bass, and the other one is called Mojito Sun. So, yeah, overall vibey tracks. Now, do you perform out, or do you mostly? Because uh, you did the mix for Low End Theory, and uh, yeah. do you perform out, or are you uh, exclusively a studio guy at the moment? Well, predominantly over the last sort of couple of years, it's really been heavily in the studio, and that's fine right. with me because my favorite place to be. But um, you know, I've done some gigs, like I did a. a a party up in Wellington and Auckland, which is like a little tour for Spy Technologies 8, which I did mm-hmm. with Killjoy. Mm-hmm. So we did it as like Decipher cross-function records. And um, for those of you who don't know who Killjoy is, his, his name's Evan Short, and Evan is one of the original two of Concord Dawn. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we got in the studio a bit together as well and, and made some tunes and... So it was just really cool to go out and, and play with him. Um, but at the moment, yeah, it's focusing on the production, but I am working on a couple of things to sort of start being able to hopefully get some bookings to be able to play out and showcase my sound. So it's that and then working on getting some more music released. Fantastic. Now, where can we find you online? Uh, do you have a SoundCloud that you can tell us about? Are you on social uh, media? Yep. So you can find me on social media. So my um, Instagram is dynamics underscore music, and that's dynamics with an X. Um, and you can find me under dynamics just on Facebook as well. Uh, SoundCloud-wise, you will find me under dynamics in all capitals. And finally, you can find me on Spotify under dynamics underscore NZ. Thank you. No worries. Well, I think this feels like a good place to to wrap things up. Uh, Do you want to... Wrap it up? Yeah. Do you want to give any shout outs before we uh, say goodbye and you get to your new equipment that you got? Yeah. So um, (laughs) that hydrosynth is waiting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to just give a big shout out um, to my brother Tristan, who got me into drum and bass. Ooh, Tristan! Um, 
I want to shout out to D-Dog and all the Base Frontiers crew, present, past and future. Um, my mate Dallas, um, who was, you know, detour from Christchurch, who legged me up and the Wise crew and all the family from down there. Um, I want to give a shout out to Steve Digital, who's always uh, listened to my music and given me feedback and helped me along. Um, I want to sort of thank Jim for all the knowledge he imparted to me as well. So Jim Heiss. And um, finally, I'd, I'd like to say a big thanks to DJ Trace, um, who's also been a big supporter and for putting me up on Decipher. It was just uh, epic. Um, moment in time for me and finally you know thank my beautiful partner who um, is my biggest supporter and has me cranking away in the studio all the time encouraging me along that that is very key to having a good partner is it supports your your creativity yeah and just a sh- and then lastly I'll just give a shout out to all my um, New Zealand drum and bass family all the crew and then of course all the rest of the people around the world who love this music um, yeah, big up, everyone. Big ups. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rowan, and this is the Lewin Theory Podcast. Thank you. Catch you later. You have just listened to the Blend Lewin Theory Mix Series interviews with the Reverend Kathy Russell.